Today's reading is from Acts 9, 1 through 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him to a vision, called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he re regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. What a story. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good, 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 good. Welcome. My name is Megan Lemons. Uh, as Mike said, I'm a pastor over at Willamette Christian Church. I'm the pastor of home communities and rooted over there. And I'm just super grateful to be here today with you. My husband, Austin, and I moved to Oregon just two years ago. So we have loved being able to be in the area, to learn with and from other churches. And I'm grateful to be a part of this series. 
series today. So we're in the midst of a series entitled On Mission, a study of Acts. And Acts tells us the story of the earliest followers of Jesus. It tells us the story of a spirit-empowered community of people who are learning what it means to take the good news of Jesus that they had received and embody it in their life and then share that with the rest of the world. And as we sit here today in 2022, after an election cycle, after a pandemic, in the midst of all the wild things, we might be asking, what is the church actually supposed to look like? What does it look like really to embody the good news of Jesus? What does it mean to be faithful to the gospel? Well, the cool thing about Acts is that as we look at these first followers of Jesus, they help us kind of answer some of these questions. And so today, let's look at Acts chapter 9 that that we've read to see how when we encounter Jesus, he invites us to participate in the work that God is doing in the world, the work to redeem and restore store and renew all things, all the earth and all people through Jesus. One of the things that I love about the book of Acts and learning from the earliest believers is that this is a group of folks who truly knew what it meant to embody their faith. They moved simply from believing things about Jesus to actually living in the ways of Jesus. They didn't just change their ideology or change their belief. They actually changed the way that they lived in the world. An encounter with Jesus and an encounter with the gospel completely changed the trajectory of their whole life, the way they experienced and interacted with the world. And something that I am super passionate about is this idea of embodied participation in the work that God is doing in the world, especially right now in a world of social media and a world where we have lived much of our lives over these last several years online, it can be really easy for us to kind of be tricked into believing that simply looking at or ascribing to certain beliefs is the totality of what it means to be human, is the totality of what it means to follow Jesus. We might believe that simply holding ideologies or cognitive beliefs is all of what it means to follow Jesus. But in truth, it's only part. Our belief and what we think in our minds is only a part of what it means to be human, only a part of what it means to follow Jesus. There's also experiences with Jesus and our embodiment of what Jesus is asking us to do. And if we were to combine our belief with our lived practice, that would be a beautiful whole way of following Jesus. But what do I really mean when I say we want to be people who who are embodying the love of Jesus, people who are embodying the ways of Jesus? That we want to move from simply head knowledge to participation and, and lived action. 
It's like this. My husband and I are originally from Alaska, and so we love the outdoors. We love hiking. We love camping. We love camping on the ground, real camping, all of those sorts of things. And while we were living in California, one of our favorite places to explore was Sequoia Kings Canyon National Park. And now when I plan a trip or an adventure, I plan it like the good millennial that I am. I start online. I start on Instagram and I look for places that look pretty. I find out where those places are and that's how I plan our trip. So I was looking up the hashtag Kings Canyon in preparation for our trip and I discovered that Kings Canyon has a ton of waterfalls. And I love waterfalls, which is why now, living in Oregon, one of my favorite places to explore is the gorge. But, but then I, I found this waterfall. I was super excited about this one in particular. It looked beautiful. It looked amazing. It looked majestic. It looked awesome. I knew it was real because I had seen the pictures. But look, no amount of research or just looking at pictures, right, could prepare me for the actual experience of the waterfall, could prepare me for the actual lived encounter with the waterfall. And so we, we planned out our trip and our first day, we set up our campsite and, and we decided to drive and go see this awesome waterfall. And so we drove in to the parking lot and the parking lot was full. And I was like, this is great because that means this is the waterfall to see. So we found a parking spot that was kind of far away and I got out of the car and I opened the door and I was greeted just with this whoosh. And I could feel myself being enveloped in a cloud of my face was wet, my hair was wet, my ears were ringing with the sound of the water splashing over the rocks. It was wild, it was amazing, it was crazy, and this was just the parking lot. And so then I started to walk forward. We got to the base of the waterfall and I looked up and I just started to cry. I started to cry because it was so big and so beautiful and so majestic. I, I started to think about God and how God made the heavens and the earth and how I got to be right here, right now, witnessing his majesty and his beauty and his wonder and his goodness to encounter it in a real way. And let me tell you, there was a big difference <laughs> between me knowing about the waterfall and seeing pictures of the waterfall and me actually being near it, actually having an encounter with it, actually being up close, embodied, participating in all that was happening in that moment. Actually, I have a, a little video of a man who, he took his participation to another level. He really wanted to encounter the falls in a dangerous sort of way. It was wild, but, but there's a difference, right? There's a difference between us knowing about it and actually participating in it, an encounter with it. And it's kind of similar with our lives with Jesus, when we look at the book of Acts, it's a series of folks who had close-up, real, lived encounters with Jesus and encounters with the gospel, encounters that, that moved and changed and shaped their belief and their embodied participation in the work that God was doing in the world. 
Acts chapter 9 shows us that when we encounter Jesus, that, that, that God invites us into an embodied participation in the work that he's doing in the world, up close, lived out through our bodies and in our lives. And so today, we're going to unpack this idea of participating in the work that God is doing by looking more closely at the story of two folks, at Saul, who later becomes Paul, who writes most of the New Testament. He's a guy who's at the start of his faith journey. And then we have Ananias. He, it tells us, has been following Jesus for a while, but he too has an encounter with God. And both of these stories teach us some key things about what an encounter with Jesus can mean for our lives. And so the passage starts in Acts 9. Let's reread a couple of these verses here. It says this starting in verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul, later who becomes Paul, the guy that writes most of the New Testament, the guy that goes on all of these missionary journeys and plants all these churches and, and takes the gospel of Jesus beyond its immediate borders, essentially to the ends of the earth. That guy starts out in Acts chapter 9 by breathing murderous threats towards Christians with a heart full of hate, a heart full of rage. The followers of Jesus have experienced some really amazing things at this point in the book of Acts, but they have also experienced a lot of really terrible things. They've experienced the loss of Stephen at the hands of those who resisted the faith, and Paul was one of those folks who, who resisted the faith. But he didn't simply resist. He embodied his resistance. He lived out his resistance. He went to great lengths to make sure that the gospel of Jesus didn't move forward, that it didn't continue. It tells us that he sought to get permission from the leading authorities of the time to stop the gospel. And not only did he just get permission to stop the gospel, the permission was to go out of town, to actually find the folks who were spreading the gospel and drag them back to put an end to the Jesus movement. He's seeking out this way of spreading the end of the gospel with murderous rage in his blood as his fuel forward. He wants to kill people and extinguish the good news of Jesus. So the story continues and tells us then that he has an encounter. He has an encounter with Jesus, and in verse 3 it says, As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So as Saul is en route to persecuting the church, Jesus pursues him and meets him. 
meets him right where he is, right in the midst of his mess, right in the midst of a heart totally far from God, right in the midst as he's being fueled by a murderous and hatred rage, right in the midst of a path heading towards destruction, right in the middle of it all, that is where Jesus meets him. Jesus meets Saul right there, right when he's at his darkest moment. This is the most unlikely person for Jesus to meet. With a heart so twisted and far, in the most unlikely of circumstances, while he's on his way to murder people, someone who we would think is the farthest from God, Jesus pursues. Jesus encounters. And so we might be asking, why Saul? Jesus could have stopped anybody. Why did Jesus use Saul? He could have stopped anyone in their tracks. He could have, why didn't he use someone who was already on the right path? Why didn't he use someone who was already living in the ways of Jesus? Why didn't he use someone who already had the right answers? Well, as we read in Acts and in the Gospels and in the letters and in the scriptures, we do find that God does use those kinds of people. But we also find that God also seeks to pursue and counter those who are far from him, who, who are far from God. And so right now, in this moment, Saul has an encounter with Jesus himself, and it's an encounter that changes his entire life. It changes what he believes in his mind, but it also changes how he lives. It changes how he participates in the world that is unfolding Saul lives out his beliefs, his new beliefs, after an encounter with God, in embodied participation. And this encounter with Jesus and Saul is a deep encouragement to me. And I hope that it's a deep encouragement to you as well, because this encounter reminds us of this very beautiful thing, that, that you're never too far and it's never too late for us to encounter the love of Jesus. It shows us that no one is beyond the reach of the pursuit of the love of God. No one is disqualified from being a part of this story that God is unfolding in the world today. We're talking about how as we encounter Jesus, he invites us to participate in the work that he is doing in the world, but, but ultimately, it's Jesus who is the initial participator. Jesus is the initial mover and shaker. Jesus is the one who initially pursues our hearts and our minds and our lives. Jesus pursues us with his love and with his life so that we could not stay the same, but so that we would be transformed, so that we could be whole, so that we could be healed, so that we could be at peace, 
Our participation in the work that God is doing comes from first being transformed by the love of Jesus. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us as God encounters us. Saul's story shows us that it doesn't matter how far gone we might have been. It doesn't matter what bitterness lies within our hearts. It doesn't matter what what anger and rage propels and fuels us forward. None of those things disqualify us from being received by the love of Jesus. It doesn't matter what mistakes we have made in the past or what mistakes we are currently struggling with right now. The love of Jesus can come to us. We can have an encounter with Jesus and he invites us into a new life, a life where we could be transformed into people who are whole, people who are healed, people who are at peace. There is still grace for us in the presence of God when we find ourselves very far from him. There's still love for us in the presence of Jesus. There's an invitation for us to live differently and to live whole, no matter how far we might have gone. It's a grace that if we choose to receive it, will bring us on a journey with Jesus that could transform our lives, a journey with Jesus that could heal us, a journey with Jesus that will move us away from bitterness, away from hopelessness, away from the rage that is within us and towards a love that could unravel our ill motives and the brokenness of our lives and make us new. So Saul's story can give us hope Hope for ourselves when we find ourselves far from God. That Jesus still pursues us. But what I love about Saul's story is that it also, it gives us hope for ourselves when we find ourselves in that space. But it also gives us hope for others. Hope for others that we have been praying for. Saul's story also encourages us. It gives us hope for people in our lives that we've stopped praying for. People in our lives that we think are beyond our hope. Saul's story encourages us and reminds us that when folks are beyond our hope, they are never beyond the hope of God. They are never beyond the healing of God. They are never too far to not be able to have an encounter with Jesus that could change their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. At an encounter with Jesus, Saul is invited into a whole new life. And the same is true for for any of us. As we encounter Jesus and his good news, his good news that he came to the earth, that he died for us in order to restore all things, all people, all the earth, and make all things new and establish his kingdom of justice and renewal in the world and in our lives, we are invited to that really good news. And Paul says it this way, Paul, who was Saul, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, he says this. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. 
The old life is gone. A new life emerges. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into the work of making things right between them. We're speaking of for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Saul's encounter with Jesus changed his life. He received a fresh start as he allowed Jesus to do a continual work in his life to make him new. And as the passage says, God gives us a fresh start through Jesus offering us forgiveness, just as he offered forgiveness and wholeness to Saul. But the cool thing is it doesn't stop there. Just as Saul's conversion didn't just stop at him being made new, our conversion, our belief in Jesus doesn't just stop at us being made new. It doesn't just stop at at belief. It continues on with an embodied participation in the work that God is doing in the world. As Saul came to know Jesus, he then went out and lived out on mission. He got up, he moved his body, he changed his belief, and that changed his life. It changed really the trajectory of history. A one author, Scott McKnight, writes this. He says, Saul's conversion rolls out his mission too. He not only enters into new creation or new birth or new life, but Jesus tells Ananias that Saul will preach the gospel to Gentiles and will suffer for it. He continues to write, and he says, meeting the Lord Jesus radically altered not only his life, but it shifted the course of the Jesus story from a Jerusalem, Galilee-based movement, so a contained movement, to a worldwide story. What does this tell us? It tells us that as we have an encounter with God, as he changes our beliefs, he also invites us to participate in the work that he's doing by changing the way that we live. As we encounter Jesus, it's an invitation to embodied participation in the work that God is doing. It tells us that Saul's conversion wasn't just simply a shift in ideology or a shift in belief, but God invited him to participate in the work that God was doing in the world. Well, what's the work God is doing in the world? It's a work to redeem, restore, and renew all things, all people, and all of the earth. Saul later becomes Paul, and he writes most of the New Testament. He spreads the good news of Jesus beyond the immediate borders out into a much broader audience. In truth, if you're here today and you're following Jesus, in part, in a way, we have Paul to thank because he was obedient. He was obedient to partner and participate in the redeeming work that God was doing, to draw all people to himself, to renew and restore individuals and communities and systems and all 
of the earth. Now hear me very clearly, Jesus was the original catalyst, right? Jesus was the initial uh, original mover of this in Paul's life by the power of the Spirit and in our lives too, but it was Paul's obedience to participate in the work that God was doing by bringing the gospel to Gentile folks, making the gospel spread far beyond what any of them could have imagined And so today, we have an invitation as well. God is doing a work in the world to redeem and restore all things, all people, all of the earth. And he has given us a fresh start as people. He's inviting us to the work that he's doing right now. As 2 Corinthians says, to make all things right to bring about ultimate peace, peace between us and God, peace between us and one another, peace in the systems and the structures that hold us together. Saul said yes to the invitation to participate after his encounter with God and his yes to embodied participation resulted in many folks coming to know Jesus, many folks' life being changed, many folks finding restoration. Saul, later Paul, lived into the mission that Jesus invited him into, and the world is different because of it. The world is different because Saul allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to not just change his belief, but to change his practice, to participate in the restorative work that God is doing in the world. And so now we also have the same opportunity, the same opportunity to participate. What's cool about this story is that Saul slash Paul isn't the only person that we meet in this story that has an encounter with Jesus and participates in the work that God is doing. We also meet Ananias, who plays a key role in Saul coming to know Jesus and coming into the faith community. Ananias shows us someone who is kind of farther along in their faith journey, farther along in following Jesus, but his story reminds us of something really important. His story reminds us that no matter where we are in our journey of faith, Jesus always invites us to continued participation, no matter where we are. Our participation doesn't just stop at the first joys of conversion, at the first joys of coming to know Jesus. It doesn't stop then. It doesn't stop 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in. Jesus is always ever inviting us into participating in his restorative work in the world to partner with God in the way that we live. Uh, The passage says of Ananias, it says this, Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now, actually. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, he exclaimed, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And and isn't he the one who's authorized by the leaving priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name? But the Lord said, go. 
Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. Ananias' story is so funny because it's a lot like our stories in some ways. I've got a slide that kind of shows the the movement of the story here. So, So it starts out, right, when we hear from God, it starts out with excitement. Oh my goodness, we are hearing from God. Yes, God, you want us to to live with with justice on our minds. You want us to be a part of, of renewing and restoring your world. You want to be us to be a part of your peace and your love. That sounds awesome. I am here for it. Yes and amen but then God gives the instruction and we're like hmm you want us to go where and with who and do what and we're a little bit hesitant about that and in Ananias' story he moves from that hesitancy into into obedience it's kind of like the rhythm of the spiritual life kind of goes from invitation to participation we're ever invited by Jesus, and then we're moved to participation. Invitation to participation. God comes and speaks to Ananias, and Ananias enthusiastically replies, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I am here. I am listening. And then God tells him what he must do. He says, go to Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias is like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Lord. All right, are you, do you mean Saul? You mean like the one who is killing folks? You mean like the Saul, the one who is bitterly against the way? You mean the man, the myth, the legend who's tearing down the church? You mean that guy? And God's like, no doubt, yeah, that's the guy. (laughs) That's the guy that I'm sending you to. But God assures him and he's like, hey, 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 I'm doing a new thing. I've met him, I've encountered him, I'm doing something new. And he's like, also... I kind of already told him you're coming. So be like rude not to show up. And so Ananias goes, Ananias trusts God and then does what God asks him to do. He trusts God and then does what God asks him to do. Invitation, belief and trust, and then participation. Ananias has an encounter with God. He believes what God is asking him. And he practices not simply just belief in what God says. He's not just like, oh God, that's so cool that Saul is now following Jesus. Good for you, God. But he actually goes. He actually gets up. His body is physically moved to participate in the work that God is doing. He he gets up, he finds Saul, and upon finding him, he doesn't stand at a distance. He draws so close to him that he can touch his eyes. And Saul then begins to see, and the rest is kind of history. Because Saul then becomes a follower of the way of Jesus, and he goes out to spread the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. But Ananias Well, Ananias, one author tells us that Ananias was a man who said yes to the possibilities of God. He said yes to the possibilities of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be the type of person that says yes to the possibilities of God. Ananias trusted God, believed God, said yes, and then went. 
He lived into the realities of Jesus, moving outside of his comfort zone, working through all of his doubts, and then physically moved his body to participate in the restorative work that God was trying to do in the world. And so as we journey along in our faith, I wonder... I wonder if we find ourselves simply agreeing to ideological statements, simply just agreeing to a list of beliefs. Or, or I wonder if we find ourselves in both agreement of belief and in participation in what God is trying to do in the world. Now, there is a part of our faith that is ideological. There is a part of our faith that is about belief. Belief in who Jesus is. Belief in what the gospel is and what it does. Belief in the power of the Holy Spirit to move in us and through us. But if we leave our faith simply at a list of agreements or a list of beliefs that we are ticking off, our life of faith will be severely anemic and malnourished. Because we are only then going to be partially formed by Jesus. And Jesus wants to transform our whole life. That that includes our systems of belief, but it also includes how we live out those systems of belief in the world. Jesus invites us to get up and go as he invited Ananias. Our world is in need of followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus who believe in the vision of Jesus, who believe in the mission of Jesus, who believe that Jesus is working to restore and renew all things. People who believe in the peace of Jesus and people who live that way, who live like the peace of Jesus actually informs our lives who live like people who actually are propelled forward by the love of Jesus. Jesus calls us to partner with him to bring about wholeness and restoration in the world. Ananias said yes to that partnership as he moved outside of himself, outside of his comfort zone, and probably with a little bit of fear, probably with a lot of hesitancy. Well, Jesus invites us to partner with him in the same way, to move outside of our comfort zones, maybe a little nervous, a little shaky, but he invites us to say yes, to say yes to the possibilities of God, to say yes to the possibility that God might use us by the power of his spirit emboldening us to partner with God to bring about wholeness and goodness and justice and peace in the world. We do this through embodied acts of care and justice for other people. And when we care for others, when we bring about wholeness, when we engage up close with people, we we begin to build the kingdom of God We begin to see the kingdom of God right here on earth as it is in heaven. Not someday, but today, right now. There are so many ways for us to partner and participate in the work that God is doing in the world. 
Many folks today already in the first service and, and after this are going to take a step. They're going to take a next step, an embodied participation in the work that God is doing in their lives through baptism. Just like Paul, folks today had an encounter with Jesus and are joining him in the physical act of baptism as they accept this new life that God is offering them. And so for those of you who are new on the journey or maybe you haven't started the journey yet, let's allow Paul's testimony to encourage us that it's never too late and we're never too far beyond God's ability to transform our lives. If we say yes, there is an invitation to partner and participate in ushering in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of restoration and wholeness right here, right now in our world. If you're here today and you find yourself maybe less so in Paul's story, but more so in the story of Ananias, somebody who's already following Jesus, already following God, well, may we be then like Ananias. May we remember that no matter where we are in our faith journey, we're never allowed to just stop participating in the work that God is doing. May we be willing to say yes to the possibilities of God. We do this in all kinds of ways through sharing the good things that God has done in our lives, through prayer, through engaging in scripture, through engaging in serving and caring for people, through engaging with your local partners like First Image and Path Home. There are opportunities right here, right now, today to participate in the restorative work that God is doing in the world. And while this work starts with a personal encounter with Jesus, it doesn't stop there. It's not just about us as individuals, but it's about us joining together in community, in community with God and in community with others as we partner together to participate in what God is doing in the world. So we must remember it's never too late. We're never too far beyond God's ability to love us. And whether we are just starting this journey or we have been journeying for a while now, Jesus invites us to bring both our belief, our minds, and our bodies, our belief and our participation in the work of making all things new. And so my question for you today and this week is, are you willing to say yes to the possibilities of God? Are you willing to say yes, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time, or maybe just again? Are you willing to say yes to the possibilities of God? And I encourage you this week to take time in prayer. Take time before God to allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in you and through you, not so that you can try harder to do better, but so that you can ask the Holy Spirit to actually empower you, to empower you to, to go out and partner with God. Spend time in prayer asking God, who is he calling you towards? Who is he calling you to love? How is he calling you to serve? Where is he asking you to partner and participate and the work that he's already doing in the world. He's been doing it since the very beginning of time. The train has left the station. God is on the move. God is on mission. We just get to choose. Are we going to participate in a whole and embodied kind of way? Would you pray with me?
Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, for what you've done. God, we thank you that we don't just have to try harder to do better. God, but that it's your Holy Spirit that's going to do a work in us. And so now, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come, come into our hearts, come into our minds. God, would your Holy Spirit empower us to do your work and your will as we partner with you, God, to bring about wholeness and goodness and justice and peace in the world. Father, for those who find themselves feeling far from you, God, would they encounter your grace today? It's not too late for any of us. We're never too far from your love. And God, for those who have been following for some time, would you empower us that our feet might move, that our feet might move to do your work and your will in the world. It's your name we pray these things. 